Christy, and this is The Alternative Podcast. I am so excited that you're here. I'm so glad that you found me, and I can't wait to connect with you. I am really wanting this podcast to be a great source of inspiration, encouragement, expansion, and hope for you in your life. The whole concept behind the alternative is to really get us to break out of our traditional ways of thinking. I think sometimes we can be trapped inside of our own minds and not even know it. And what I mean by that is I think we can be conditioned to really believe that we have maybe only one or two or no options in front of us, especially when the pressure is on, tensions are high, we're in stressful moments. And really what I'm hoping is that the conversations that we have on this podcast will will free you, will liberate you from yourself and bring you back to a more creative way of problem solving and looking at your life and looking at your choices what if there's a door number three what if it's not just one option or two options what if there is a whole world of possibility that you're missing out on because of the limitations within your own mind so let's just question that and have some fun with it. I am going to bring you some people on this podcast that will uh, really change the way that you think about health. We're going to be exploring alternative health practices, alternative wellness, uh, and also I just want to bring you some straight up inspiration, some people who broke out of the confines of their existence to create a life that is really fun and rich and joyful and it is my my sincerest hope that through listening to these people and uh, the way that they have overcome these challenges the way that they've really honestly assessed um, themselves and their lives and have really stepped into their greatness um, I hope that you are able to do the very same thing because I think that we all have greatness inside of us. I don't think that there are special chosen people. I think we all have the ability to become exactly what it is that we dream of becoming. So if you're feeling like you're in a moment of being stuck or uncertain or not sure where to turn, you're in the right place. Uh, you're going to get a lot out of listening to my first guest, who is a really dear friend. Uh, she's one of those friends who is family to me. I love her so much. Her name is Jackie Jones. She uh, is the creator, founder of Flourish Momentum, her own holistic wellness practice. And I really hope that she inspires you tremendously today. I know she's going to be back for more. But in the meantime... We'll just get into it. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, okay, so everybody, I am very excited to have today as my guest on this inaugural podcast, Jackie Jones, just to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she has two master's degrees, one in art therapy from George Washington University, one in art education from the University of Maryland. She is a board-certified art therapist. She is a registered yoga instructor with her 500-hour certification. She's also certified in yoga nidra, energy medicine. She's a Zentangle instructor, a Reiki master. She has advanced 12 chakra sound healing therapy certification. She is a master feng shui. Uh, she has, excuse me, her, her master in feng shui certifi certificate. Uh, she's also an advanced theta healer, an integrative nutrition health coach. She's worked extensively with the government to treat traumatic brain injury and PTSD in the military. Her research has been published internationally through peer-reviewed journals and books. And she has spoken all over the country and the world about trauma, grief, and how utilizing alternative healing like yoga, meditation, and art can help people. And there's so much more, but we'll start there. Hi, Jackie. <laughs> Hi, Christy. <laughs> Beautiful intro. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Did I leave anything out that you feel like I should add in there? Or that's a... I think that sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good jumping off <laughs> that's point. pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Great. So I just want to start out today because I think you're going to help so many people. Uh, but to begin... I think we should start at the beginning with you. So if you can tell us where you're from, what your growing up was like, and some of the early health challenges that you have encountered. My name is Jackie Jones, and I'm really delighted to be here with Christy and her inaugural podcast. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Um, I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland, and there's... A lot I could say about my upbringing, but you asked about the health challenges, so I'll start there. Okay. Growing up, I naturally gravitated toward art. So art was my thing I would do before I went to bed at night. I would read what I was supposed to because I've always been a good student, but it was like drawing supplies in my bed that I would fall asleep with. I learned really early on that I could go to my art to calm down, to understand how I was feeling about something, to get emotions out. So while I was on the shyer end of the spectrum, I didn't totally internalize everything because I, I knew from a young age that art was a really good way for me to self-express. Um, and then moving into more middle school years, I learned how to use it to process particular things that were going on. In high school years, I remember if I like if I was angry with someone through art, I could kind of better understand their perspective and be able to 
go toward them with a more constructive approach. And the art also just really neutralized feelings. I became really interested in the intersection of art and psychology. And I was in a used bookstore at one point sometime in high school, and I followed my interests. And I followed the art section and the psychology section, and they intersected at a book (laughs) that was on art therapy. So I learned that I got the book and I learned that art therapy was a thing and um, became really fascinated with it. When I initially went to college, I didn't know, I was kind of torn if I was going to go for graphic design or art education or art therapy. And I actually started with graphic design, but learned quickly that technology was taking over and I didn't want to live my life on a computer. And then I really wanted to go into art therapy. But if you looked up art therapy, there were no jobs in it. And my family, out of love for me, uh, encouraged me not to follow that because they were afraid I wouldn't get a job. But I also did want to be a teacher. A lot of my volunteer work um, in high school and college was about bringing art to populations that didn't have it, and or at least in populations where it wasn't embedded in their school, so they weren't having the as much access to it. And so that was always important to me. I wound up going into art education. For me, that was always a stepping stone toward art therapy. I knew that I would make it happen and it would be great. I just felt like the art education was um, stepping stone on my path. Went up going to school for a master's in art education initially. And before I even started teaching, I graduated college early, went to Brazil, worked with homeless children, and I had an art education approach. And even though it was helpful, I left that experience wishing that I had the knowledge to have taken a more art therapy approach because I feel like that would have been um, just able to create more of an impact. And so even when I started teaching full-time, I started right away going to night school and getting some of the additional um, undergrad prerequisites that I needed to eventually go back for art therapy. And so on one hand, to answer your question, on one hand, we have this uh, art thread going through, like using art to better connect with yourself, with others, how to use it um, for really like psychological aiding And then simultaneously, there were also different health things that were coming up throughout my life. So one one thread, one thing that I've struggled with for a long time was hyperhidrosis. Medically, it's um, it's like having sweaty hands. For different people, it can be in different areas. For me, I have really sweaty hands. And when I would go get treatment for it, in medical settings, they viewed it as an isolated issue. So you have sweaty hands, that's the whole thing. And the ways to treat it were 
I tried everything that they suggested. So I think for a while they were having me use something called dry saw, which is like a topical solution you rub on your hands and then before bed and then you cover your hands in saran wrap and then you wear gloves to sleep and oh my gosh. when um when the dry sole would like creep onto the tops of your fingers where you have hair follicles it would sting so wake you up all night and didn't really work that well for me anyway um I did that for a while even like my freshman year of college with all these strangers I was sharing a floor with Beyond that, they had me try um, pills that they give people who have urinary issues. They didn't work. I also, they had me try this thing called Dryonic, which was like a mini, like personal electrocution machine where you fill oh this like, basin with water. You like set your hand, your palms on these metal plates and like let your fingers like dive into the water and then you just sit there for like 20 minutes and like crank up the electricity in it and um it was several treatments of that and then it would work for like a day and then go away anyway and then your fingers would be like cracked and bleeding oh so that wasn't the best what else did they have me try I think after that was gonna be when they snip something in your brain and I asked the doctor point blank, like if if he would have his daughter do that, and he said no, um, and so I stopped. I did not consider that, um, and I'm glad I asked him that direct question. I'm glad I had the wherewithal to ask him that question, but eventually, like I know myself and I know the things that would make it worse, right? So I knew that when I was in a setting that was making me feel really anxious, I know it would be worse. I knew that if I was engaged in something where I was in flow state, it would go away. So I already knew that there was a psychosomatic connection, even if the doctors weren't having that conversation with me. And, and no doctor had connected those dots for you. They looked at it as purely a physical no. symptom. Yeah. They, so they were looking at it purely as a physical symptom that we can like make go away by snipping something that cuts off your parasympathetic nervous system signals in your brain. And, but yeah, I was aware that there was a psychosomatic connection. And at that time, there was so much stigma, as even it's just associated with the phrasing psychosomatic. If doctors said it's all in your head, they, you know, a lot of times meant it like you're making it up, but then the person was left feeling like, well, I'm not making it up. I have these true symptoms and these true feelings. For me, I never, I think I saw through that. So I I just kind of knew deep down, okay, this is psychosomatic. Let me figure this out. And I knew, especially going to grad school for art therapy, you dissect the life out of yourself. <laughs> like your every every project you're presenting, you're like crying in front of your classmates, every paper, everything you're learning, you're dissecting your own life from that lens. And so I became hyper familiar with all these different moments in my life that 
were underlying different things that I was experiencing then. And so like, I know I can trace back my first memory of hyperhidrosis. I was um, being babysat by someone who, I mean, I was like three at the time and this adult didn't want to hold my hand while crossing the street. And like, like an adult made a comment like, oh, gross, or oh, do I have to, those kinds of comments about holding my hand while crossing the street. And I knew that that made it worse. And I knew that that played into like, no one's going to want to hold my hand. And like that played out into being scared to date for a long time and yada, yada. So like I knew all the connections that were playing out. And Poor little three-year-old you. That's so devastating. (laughs) I know, so that moment oh. comes up in a lot of different things. But the point right now is that when I got into yoga and I could really see how I could direct my focus, and when I directed my focus in a certain way, my hands would be completely dry. If I directed my focus in another way, then they would get really sweaty. So when I worked in a hospital setting later, uh, like some of the doctors that were training people on biofeedback would like use me as a demo because it is like so easy for me to like switch it on and off at that point. On one hand, I guess that could make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> like they're making me this like sweaty demo guinea pig. But on the other hand, like, <laughs> but on the other hand, it was, um, you know, empowering to know that, hey, it's actually all within me. So if I'm public speaking and I notice that I'm getting really sweaty, I can have it play out, which I did for a long time, which was like, have it play out where I'm still talking about what I'm talking about, but all of my focus and attention is feeling bad about myself for like being a, an embarrassing monster person. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I did that for long enough. And then I, especially coming into being a therapist and just having a much greater understanding of how all this is connected, did a lot of personal reading on self-compassion and how to use self-compassion to really shift your entire experience with something. So once I was equipped with that knowledge, I could, you know, be in the middle of a public speaking engagement and I could notice the sweating start and I could very quickly, instead of going down the, oh, I'm such a monster, this is embarrassing train of thought, go down the, just having self-compassion, knowing okay, X, Y, and Z is happening. That's triggering anxiety from the past. I'm okay. I'm here now. I'm not going to hold this against myself for the rest of the day. And it would just, it would A, just dissipate, but B, then I wouldn't let it ruin, ruin my whole day. Right. And it's, it's a journey. I think that is so beautiful and a really, really powerful message to share with people that the more willing you have become to embrace this part of yourself that has been steeped in all of this embarrassment, shame, and fear, the more willing you are 
to step in front of an audience and embrace it and say, hey, this is me, this is a part of me, the more, uh, the more you're able to set yourself free and the people that you're working with too because it's the thing that we're all really looking to do. And then it can't hurt yeah, you anymore. Yeah, and it helps. Right. And it helps me get – how can I put this? It helps me step into – like wholehearted faith in the modalities that I do. Like I'm not going through the motions with anything and I didn't want to let the hyperhidrosis get in my way. So like I didn't want it. I wanted to be an art teacher. You know, you're demoing things with your hands all the time in that job. I didn't want it to let me, to let it stop me. But I knew like even if I got up in front of the class, even if I knew while I was speaking, my hands would sweat for whatever reason. I knew that if I could focus and really be present with whatever I was demoing, it would stop, right? So as long as I could just push through that tough part of the symptom starting, I knew once I got to the other side and in a, like being fully present in a flow state with something, it would stop. And I didn't want it to stop me from public speaking. So, you know, I would work with different like tricks that I have for myself to get through the just the hardest part of beginning um and I didn't want it to stop me from becoming a yoga instructor which I really love doing and my feet sweat too and and I didn't want that to I didn't want that to stop me and when I teach yoga now I know that even if my hands and feet are sweating, when I start a class, as long as I just get into it, it will stop. And when I teach Zen Tangle online, which is like the meditative drawing, I have a, a camera that's super zoomed in, like right over my hand doing this intricate ink drawing um, that people can follow along with online. And even if my hands are sweating at the very beginning, I know if I have that like a self-compassionate talk and b just drop into it it will stop so it's beautiful yeah it's really beautiful can you explain one for people who don't know what is a flow state because you were using that language a lot and then also an example of a way that you practice self-compassion some of those inner um, dialogues that you have with yourself Okay, so with the flow state, I'll demo it between, all right, so like when you're doodling, doodling is, is busying of your hands, it's getting the energy, it's getting like your excess energy out, it helps you focus more on what's going on externally, so sometimes when people are doodling, they're maybe thinking about something or maybe they're, it helps them listen to a lecturer better if they're doodling. Maybe it's just getting out excess energy that, you know, helps them not be jittery in whatever situation they're in. But that's not necessarily flow state because you're still tuning into different things. Zen Tangle, which is a, a meditative uh, drawing approach that I'm certified in, is... and. Instead of being mindless drawing, it's mindful drawing. And so the, the simple strokes and patterns that build on each other to create these intricate designs wind up really taking, really taking your attention. So you wind up being completely immersed in the activity. 
So it's when you get so immersed in an activity that other things fade away, time fades away, you kind of lose sense of, of you, you don't even realize if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, all of those things kind of fade away. You're just so immersed in what you're doing. It doesn't necessarily have to be meditative drawing. It can also be running for someone. It can be playing music for someone. So there's lots of different ways that people can access that state, but it's really a true presence and immersion with what you're doing. And then with the self-compassion, uh, the story I was sharing, so I can think of uh, like so several of the first public speaking experiences where afterwards, like I would let it destroy my day, like the whole rest of the day, I would just feel bad about myself. Whereas once I truly had more self-compassion, knew where those symptoms were coming from, understand, understood them as my body just trying to protect me or warn me um, or self-regulate my system. Like when I could see it as my body's working with me and not betraying me when I had that understanding, I could much more easily leave a situation and just say, okay, it is what it is. That's where my body's at today. And just have a lot more, truly be self-compassionate, like just an understanding, um, supportive self-talk as opposed to a degrading self-talk. And once I could really embody that, I could leave that situation and just move on with the rest of my day. Mm. You know, there might need to be like a trauma response moment where after a public speaking engagement, I would just kind of let, I don't know, sometimes your body just needs to like shake something out and let go of it. But knowing like, instead of interrupting that process, just letting it happen. So you can just move forward. <laughs> you know, so I love that, you know, yeah, like the first step is just letting like a hard experience be a hard hour, as opposed to controlling the rest of your day. Like a bad thing doesn't have to necessarily become 24 hours. It it does if you let it, but it's like that that self-talk and the way that you're holding yourself determines if something is an embarrassing hour, okay, it is. Or if something is an embarrassing, you know, feeling bad about yourself for the next few days, you know, it just has such a greater hold on you than when you're able to just say, okay, Try again next time. <laughs> Move yes, forward. Yes. And I just think that's such a lovely way to reframe it too. When you look at your body and say to yourself, this is my body trying to protect me. There is nothing wrong with me. This is my body mm -hmm. trying to get back into homeostasis and thank you body. And it's okay. So I think that that's mm -hmm. a really, really lovely way to reframe something that had been such a challenge for you when you look at it that way really helps you to move forward with more compassion, like you say. Yeah. And it's the other thing that you had asked about before we have done is the migraine yes. history. What you're just saying, like the body bringing you into homeostasis, they're actually very connected. And finally, um, Ayurveda connected those dots for me. Can you give... Should I explain a little bit of the migraine explain stuff? Explain a little bit of the migraine stuff and also just for the person who has never heard the word Ayurveda before, uh, what that is briefly. Yes. Yeah, sure. So 
Ayurveda is like the medical sister science to yoga. So yeah, at the same time when yoga emerged, the science of health and longevity that emerged at the same time as Ayurveda. It's the best way to explain it. But it 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 looks at all of the different at you as a person, but then all of the different parts of your body and then all of the different functions of your body are associated with different elements. And when something is out of balance, you know how to look at the system and like maybe lessen a certain element, increase another element to create that regulation or the homeostasis or the bringing yourself back to ease. That's the quick way I can explain it. Okay. And then tell us, I want to hear about your journey with migraines because I know so many people are suffering and don't know where to turn. And I know you've tried a lot of different things and I think, I think your story would really, really be helpful. Yeah, this is another chronic issue that I've dealt with for a lot of my life. I started having like debilitating migraines when I was 15 and maybe earlier than that, but I was diagnosed with chronic migraines when I was 15 and starting back then, even in high school, I was taking, um, prescription migraine pills, maybe three or four times a week. And the doctors would just prescribe them. And there was no talk of, hey, the more you take these, the more they're perpetuating your migraines. And so you just kind of very easily get stuck in a prescription med cycle without really seeing what the issues are. So I would say a lot of um, high school and college was different doctors and neurologists had lots of diff- had several different MRIs, tried several different types of medications, whether they were like the pain-killing kind or preventative kind, and started to wake up a little when, well, in college, someone put me on a particular medicine, and then the purpose of it was to prevent migraines and then I started to feel depressed and then they were going to put me on a medicine for depression and I was like wait did the first one cause the depression they were like well yeah that's a side effect and I was like okay then I'll just get off all of it I'm not going to start I'm not going to start just building on meds that are just treating the symptoms of the other ones or the side effects of the other ones so you know I started to be more aware of okay well like what's a side effect, what's a symptom. Anyway, I tried a bunch of different meds, but they weren't working. Point is, I was always getting side effects, but they weren't really treating the migraines. So eventually, after college, when I was going to new doctors and new neurologists, I um, was just pretty clear, like, please stop putting me on meds. Please stop trying different meds on me. I want to learn what's the root of these issues. And most of them would just keep telling me different meds to take. They would just kind of like switch out the meds. And finally, I had one doctor who wrote on a prescription pad a couple of books. And she was like, don't tell anyone I'm giving you this. I'm supposed to be prescribing you with meds. Go home and read these, see if they help. And I read them right away. What were Um, the books? 
One was called Heal Your Headache. Another one, something with migraine in the title. (laughs) We'll circle back. To get back to. (laughs) We'll circle back. It was a long time ago. But, But what I gained from them was really starting to see migraines as as a holistic issue i learned to see that we all have like we all have a particular baseline threshold and several different things cause migraines and when you have enough of your triggers stacked so let's say you have enough triggers stacked and you're already like at your threshold without realizing it, it only takes one more thing to send you over your threshold, right? And then you have this inflammatory pain. So if you can learn all of the different things that cause you inflammation and you just keep them out of your life, then you're maintaining your baseline way lower than your threshold, right? So instead of like your baseline... So let's say just your daily living, you're already doing these 10 things that cause inflammation, but you don't even realize it. And then it just takes one more and you're at your your threshold and now all of a sudden you're so inflamed, you you feel the pain. And you're pushed into a migraine. You're pushed into a migraine from what, from what seems like one thing. But if you can cut out like those 10 things that are just causing you inflammation, and let's say you run into one thing, you're nowhere near your threshold yet okay right so you can like encounter that one thing and then it can subside so this is huge but you're still far away this is this is a huge yeah it's this a is big huge. big deal okay so what what are these triggers that people may unconsciously be stacking up throughout their day unknowingly that are leading them into migraine territory yeah so so many things so and uh, so so many things like cold cuts Anything processed, anything, anything with additives, preservatives, a lot of the chemicals that. Oh, I was just going to say, so cold cuts, you yeah, know, like lunch meat, salami, uh, deli like ham, turkey. Like lunch meat, stuff okay. like that. Okay. Less so when it's fresh, but people don't typically get it that way. They usually get it in the store in a pack and it's cased in preservatives. So it's, it's more the preservatives than the meat. Any chemicals, anything synthetic, lots of things that don't cause harm to the typical person, or maybe now it does because they're rampant. But early on, when after I read that book and I started just taking really good notes on when I was getting a migraine and what I had just done, I learned very fast. Well, I knew that cigarette smoke was one, so I never smoked, but it just made me even more adamant about not being around cigarette smoke. When I was a teacher, it was like a a once a week treat. I would pick like a day. I'd have like a Diet Dr. Pepper, like in the afternoon or something. But aspartame was one, so I cut that out right away. Once I learned that aspartame was a big one for me, I cut out like any diet sodas, any um, of the traditional gums that all have aspartame in them. I don't think people know Um, that at all. So I... Yeah, so I yeah cut out like anything diet, anything gum. I get gum from Whole Foods now to stop doing all that. And I'm, but I'm already, I was already vegetarian, so there were a lot of things on the list that I already, I already wasn't doing. Uh, sulfates can be one for people. So typical things are like don't drink red red wine, 
don't have chocolate, certain nuts, citrus fruits, the cold cuts, blah, blah, blah. But these are not hard and fast rules. A, um, a cheap red wine is going to have a way different effect on you than like a bio-organic one, sure. you know, where it's just like the soil's clean, there's no pesticides, blah, blah, blah. So I think, I think it's really about the pesticides, to be honest. I think that's really more so what's driving the migraines, honestly. Chocolate's good for you in small quantities. Citrus is good for you in smaller quantities. So I think the list they had was pretty extensive, and I think some of some different ones really are the main migraine triggers for people. But I will say that back then, when my just in my daily life, my list of triggers was higher. Like a citrus fruit would send me into a migraine, and cashews would send me into a migraine. But now that I have everything else really in control. I can have cashews. They don't give me migraine. I can have citrus. It doesn't give me migraine. So I think it's really about getting the big ones out of your life. So what really made a big difference for me was cutting out anything fake. So anything with with additives, anything synthetic, I just don't eat. And then eating, yeah, eating really clean, organic, honestly. A lot of people talk about the dirty dozen, which is a good place to start with organic is just buying organic, the things where you're eating the skin. But I eat organic everything because even if an avocado, even if you're not eating its skin, so even if you're not eating the part that was like directly sprayed with pesticide, the avocado that you are eating grew out of a soil that was saturated with the pesticides. You know, so the foundation is still turning into the cells of the thing that you're eating. So for me personally, I do organic everything that I can. I think that really makes a big difference. Not having pesticides, that makes a big difference. Honestly, I love apples and I can have an organic apple, feel nothing. I can go to an apple orchard in the fall and eat an apple and get a migraine for the rest of the day just because I know they put pesticides on them. So for me, I'm like a canary in a coal mine, like (laughs) things that I know really quickly cause migraines in me that might not cause other people pain. But like over the years, everything that I cut out earlier, like five, 10 years later, they'll be like, oh, studies are showing aspartame causes cancer and migraines. <laughs> well, I really applaud you for yeah. for following your intuition and really uh, experimenting and being meticulous with the way that uh, you observed yourself and when you would have these really bad side effects because it seems like you've created a life that is so much more full of health and wellness now. I mean, when you started, can you can you give me an idea how often you would experience migraines and how often now they come around? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So before, I would say I was taking prescription medicine like three or four times a week. And now um, I have backup prescription medicine for it just to get make the pain go away if I have a really bad one. And I, I probably only take like one a year now, honestly. And it's like if enough 
really big things are stacked and I just can't get out of one, but that's a big difference. And, and I, the migraines were a really good example for me, how, how truly holistic these symptoms are. Like I just talked a lot about environmental factors, like things that you're, I mean, yeah, smelling cigarette smoke, eating aspartame. So anything that you're bringing in. Another thing people don't realize is all the fake scented candles and air fresheners and things like that. But there's this whole like environment, we'll call those environmental triggers, but there's also all these internal things. So I would also get migraines if I was having a lot of anxiety that had nowhere to go, or if I had a lot of emotions internalized that had nowhere to go. And I didn't know this until starting to see an acupuncturist and learning a lot more about yoga. When I saw an acupuncturist fire element, she was like, you need to see your migraines as imagine heat rising, heat rising, heat rising. And then you don't actually have a chimney. So at a certain point, there's nowhere for all the smoke to go. It just builds up and stays here. So for a lot of scenarios, a migraine is really just that trapped steam, that's trapped smoke, really. And so just learning about the chakras and if I felt a migraine coming on, A, being able to walk myself, like br- literally bring that, it's like too much energy up in the higher chakras. So learning how to redistribute it back in balance. Um, I could just do that visually, like in the moment. I also became a lot more aware of okay, a migraine's coming on. What is the primary thing that's stressing me out right now? Make note of it, deal with it, get it out of my life. Migraine would go down. So it made it like once you get that kind of awareness, it makes it a lot easier to be like so many distinct moments, like in relationships where there was a lot of push and pull and I couldn't get out of because I was too attached. Once I had that awareness, okay, I'm having a migraine. He is stressing me out right now. break up <laughs> it would go away it's like okay that was the right thing to do <laughs> like literally it can play out in moments like that and it's cool to think that there's a certain symptom that is just like a, a chronic a type of chronic illness or a type of chronic condition the doctors make you feel like okay well I just get migraines I guess like I just have a migraine and I just have to feel like crap or take a pill and move forward. But it's actually a really big piece of information to help you guide your life into things that are more aligned for you and things that genuinely feel better for you. Yes. So yeah, it's internal, it's external. And the whole migraine journey really helped me see the full holistic picture, right? Yes. So... Your migraines, one way to look at this is your migraines are your body communicating with you, telling you that you need to change something. And if you look at it in that way as a valuable piece of information, like you said, it can go from being this horrible pain to, okay, something's being communicated. What needs to shift so that I can live with the most optimal health. Yeah. And then in, Ayur- in Ayurveda, which is the like connection point, for a long time, I didn't understand. I was like, okay, I'm fire element. I understand why I struggle with migraines. That's a really common 
condition that's associated with fire element people. But then why am I so sweaty? Like fire, fire and water are opposite. So like why am I having all these migraines and that type of inflammatory pain? And then why am I so sweaty? But Ayurveda helped connect the dots. So if I have this excess heat, like water puts out fire. So of course my body is going to be producing extra water to help it calm. So if I, in my daily life, if I can feel when my like heat is rising and bring it into balance, or if I can feel that my water is rising and bring that into balance, that like it's huge right now. We're talking about this. I told you it's very psychosomatic. We're talking about this. Usually when I talk about this, my hands get very sweaty. They're like perfect right now. I think it's because we're talking about like keeping everything in balance. That's incredible. So oh, yeah. I'm so happy for you too. What a victory. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. I know. I, I and I, that's why I really like this the holistic approach because even when someone finds like a medicine that works for them or a drug that works for them to self regulate in some way, they're still reliant on something external, and it is profoundly empowering to know oh, I can regulate no matter what's going on. I can regulate within my own system from my own brain <laughs> like we actually have such control over our experience so it is very empowering yes yes it is and okay so I can already see that I'm gonna need to have you back again and again and again because you have such a wealth of information but for people out there that are suffering that would like to find an alternative that is not another pill what are the offerings that you have? How do you work with your clients? So my little quick journey into where I'm at now. So clinically started as a, a clinical art therapist, worked in military hospitals since 2013, no, 2012. Began, so as a clinical art therapist, working with active duty service members with traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic pain, co-occurring psychological health conditions, used art therapy with this group until 2018, kept using art therapy, but also in 2018 became a yoga instructor. So was the art therapist, but was also the yoga and meditation teacher, started using teaching mindful movement classes and got certified in IRS Yoga Nidra, which is really powerful for healing as well. I'm Everything I offer is something that's really helped me, right? So I started with the art therapy, really helped me, like art therapy on myself really helped me, wanted to learn everything I could about it, got a master's in art therapy, then could start offering it to others. In my own life, when I had all the tools for self-expression and psychoanalyzing myself, when there were still somatic blocks, I got into yoga to help um, clear those things from my body that weren't moving despite having the insight, right? So then I knew that that was really important. So in my art therapy, a lot of people really saw it as a key to their healing. Um, they were really able to get in the subconscious, unlock the key to whatever was blocking their healing from something. And then there comes a point where sometimes people were like, okay, intellectually, I understand what's underlying the issue, but 
and I understand that I should feel more joy and happiness, but why can't I? Like I can't access those feelings in my body. So then it became important for me to study yoga to be able to offer that as well. So then I'm already building the art therapy is really great for the self-expression and insight and awareness, um, communicating with self and others, feeling less isolated, accessing joy, so many different things. But then yoga comes in and is really helpful for moving anything that's stagnant and stuck in the body. Sometimes you can, through expression, work toward letting go of something. But if your hips are locked up, and you like literally physically can't let go of something because it's it's stored in your body, then you need something like yoga to help open that and release that where the stuckness is. So enter yoga and meditation. Then in my own life, I had those, but sometimes it feels like something still has an energy hold on me. Like I can understand this, I can do all the yoga, but like, why is something that my grandpa experienced affecting me in this body now? So things like that are more energy talking about oriented. epigenetic trauma. Yeah, anything energetic. Okay. Anything energetic. So I guess a better example would be, like, as a trauma therapist, sometimes, like, after doing that a long enough hours, um, enough years, sometimes I'd get to a place where I was like, I don't know if this grief is mine or if this grief is someone else's and I absorbed it, mm. like you start to lose that differentiation when you are in other people's souls all day. <laughs> um, so for me, energy work like Reiki and Theta Healing became important for me to receive. So I eventually learned that as well so I could offer it. I couldn't offer it in the setting where I was at, but in 2021, when I opened my own practice, that gave me the freedom to be able to offer the art therapy, the yoga and meditation, the energy healing, like Reiki and Theta healing. And then especially when I started teaching yoga, people would ask me a lot of health advice, but it wasn't my role to give it. So then I, I used time in 2020 to get certified in health coaching as well. So I can pull that to the table. And the Ayurveda that I'm studying through my um, advanced yoga studies is really influencing that a lot with how I work with people and like health and nutrition wise. And then one of the biggest complaints that people would have in the, inter in the intensive outpatient military hospital settings was they would say, I get so much better when I'm here doing treatment all day. But then I go home and I backslide because my environment didn't shift. And so it became really important for me to also become equipped as a feng shui practitioner so that we can work with the space as well. Because you can do all the internal work in the world, but if your environment is, is holding you back, it's going to be really hard to actualize that 2.0 that you're seeking to achieve right so now in a lot of the work that I do with people it's always on the table just some people aren't ready for feng shui <laughs> <laughs> but, what, what's what's the big resistance with it people uh what are you encountering uh in terms of people not wanting to deal with it I think there's a spectrum 
there's because anything holistic, there's a spectrum of what people are are ready and open for, right? I feel like we're all born as creative people. We're all born as artists, but our conditioning tells us that art's not as important at the same age that we start to get really, our view of self is primarily dictated by what other people are telling us about ourselves. So so for example, in a lot of places in the country, you take art until about fifth grade. In sixth grade, it becomes an elective. But that's the same age where your self-esteem, where your self-esteem is entering. It's a much heavier influence what other people are saying about you, Mm -hmm. right? So if externally they're saying this isn't as important, then you're more likely to believe that. And um, it's also where you're harder on yourself. So if you're in an art class, you're going to be way more hard on yourself if you're not able to draw something exactly how you want to. So then that internal frustration paired with the society telling you it's less important causes a lot of people to turn away from art at that point. Anyway, I digress. What, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, so let's say the spectrum of things I do from like art being the most concrete to then yoga and meditation being more somatic to the energy healing, which you can't even see. (laughs) And then like energy healing in your environment, like, you know, I feel like people have to be a certain amount of open-minded to holistic healing to even try the art. Yes. Yes. And then like more open-minded to holistic healing to believe that yoga can change their health and how they feel. And even more open-minded to believe that something they can't even see can work. Like they have to truly feel it. They have to experience it to um, to experience the power of how it works. But if they don't experience it first, then they've already they haven't even opened that door yet. Can you give an example of someone that you've treated who was maybe a little bit skeptical? about all of these tools that you use and experienced a real shift using what it is that you teach? Yeah. So I would say most of the people that I worked with within the military hospital settings were, you know, would come in, they would be put on my schedule. It would be recommended to them. Sometimes they weren't even told what it was going to be. So they're Um, not signing up for this voluntarily. And it's just a part of their schedule. They're expected to come and see you. Some were, some were, but even when they did knowingly, there was hesitation and like skepticism. Some were told like, you have so much stress, it's breaking down your body and you're not able to talk about it. So you're going to go see Miss Jones. And I don't think they realized until they opened my door and there was like an art studio that I had so many people on their first day, like literally open the door, be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and like, and just paint us a picture. Walk away, like, come back. What does your office look like? An art studio. I mean, you've got craft supplies everywhere. What's on the wall? Now? When you're when doing in this in the military hospital. hospital. So when I was in the military hospital, I had, I worked in a few different places and I had really great, I had really great rooms. So you'd walk in, see my desk, very professional and very equally like left and right brain. I would write like papers and chapters and present. So I'm like very academic also. Did walk in, I'd have like my academic desk, like my 
cool psychology books and stuff, but then you like <laughs> turn your vision <laughs> like right behind me or right next to me. It's just this huge open art table and then a ton of like the walls lined with paints and magazines and clay and all sorts of stuff. And in that setting, I would also, people could choose to display their work. So (laughs) it must have been a very interesting environment to walk into because on one hand, people associate art supplies with kids. But then on the other hand, all the art hanging up on the wall was like sometimes people with knives in their skulls or like masks with someone tearing their skin off or things with you know, depictions of explosions or had people recreate scenes of of very traumatic things that they witnessed. So it must have been uh, quite the dichotomy for people to walk into. I'm sure. I'm sure. And then, I mean, tell it for for the people who have never heard of art therapy, this is the first day that they've heard of it. How are you using that with these veterans to help them? So it looks different now that a lot of, I have a home office. It's smaller. I work with the majority of my clients online now. So I'll send them, you know, we have much more of a a background, like a, a longer intake assessment and a longer talk about what their goals are, what their needs are, what their desires are, and then prioritizing their list of goals. And then we come up with a treatment plan with the order of modalities that we'll use. So it looks different now. There's more prep, like psychological prep for them now. But before they would come the first day, I actually started them as a group. They were initially put into level one groups where the directives that I gave enough of a container that they weren't lost and overwhelmed. They could really see it as a problem-solving activity, but with enough freedom that whatever needed to bubble up from the subconscious could come up. And then honestly, typically within one session, they would be won over and be excited, like look forward to coming back the next time just because it's it's such a different approach. It goes around the our normal defenses. A lot of people who didn't want to admit that something was bugging them or didn't know how profoundly something was affecting them would just come up in their own art on the table. And it also eliminated like the type of therapist-patient dynamic that can cause defenses to rise. Like if someone's in a sit-and-talk and the therapist is telling them what they think about them, or what's going on with them. You know, the client has, it's much more normal for a client to, you know, kind of like get defensive. Who are you to say that about me? You don't know, you're not me, blah, blah, blah. Like that whole, that whole world is not, not as much there because at the end of the art making time, when they take a step back and look at what they've created and describe it, the information didn't come from me. To them. The information came from their soul to the table so they could see it, but all the information came from them. So it became much more of a 
I mean, powerful experience, they would say this is like a scalpel to the soul. Like it just would get really directly at the root of something that they may have spent years trying to figure out at that point. So even if they didn't know why it worked or even if they were still skeptical, they were like, okay, I'll come back for more. This is helpful. (laughs) That's great. That's so great because it just sounds like it's a truly unfiltered expression of what it is that they need to unload. Yeah. And in the, I'll say in a lot of art therapy settings, you don't see other clients work on the wall so that it's a very clean slate and nothing's influencing what, what you're going to express. But in these, these particular settings, it really helps. And I've been in a few of them. So I've seen a few of these settings go from having no patience to growing into a flourishing program. And you can tell like the people who are kind of first in the room are really feeling out how authentically they can express because they don't know if you can handle it yet. They don't know if it's appropriate to really express a certain pain or a certain trauma But over time, as there's more examples of what people have expressed around the wall, people walk in, they're like, okay, fair game. I know here it's safe to just express what I need to. She apparently can handle it. And they feel much more, there's probably better words for this, but I think they would say like, I feel less weird putting this out on the table. Like I feel, because having art on the wall, it kind of helps someone move from feeling very alone and isolated in their experience to already, even without meeting other people, knowing that they're not isolated and they're not alone. Other people are struggling with similar things as well. So it's kind of like group therapy, even if no one else is in the room, still has a similar empathetic effect. Yeah, I can see how you're just incubating them in this space with all of this proof on the walls that other people have gone through similar experiences, just as much pain, just as much hardship, and how that can be like a permission slip for people to, it's okay, you're safe here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I could talk to you about this for so long because I think it's so interesting and transformative. I did just want to get if you could talk in a little more detail about maybe one particular client or experience that has stayed with you. There's so many. I I think I've worked with a couple people who knew me in the past and knew that the art therapy was really helpful for unlocking certain things. And then when they found themselves in a new struggle spot 10 years later, found me, reached out, knowing that it was one of the most helpful parts of their healing. That's awesome because back then I was just doing the art therapy, but this time we can, they can experience the other modalities as well, not necessarily for the sake of experiencing them, but because the other ones play into other helpful parts, right? So someone, for example, we could do some art therapy so they express something that needs to be expressed so they can gain insight into what's underlying what's going on now. But then we did yoga nidra for a while 
so they could really learn to regulate their emotions and go from being really high and really low to being more centered and balanced and get to a place where they could feel less um, knocked off center when something would happen. People in their lives would reflect that to them. Like, you seem really balanced and calm now. You're way more responsive than reactive than you have been. And then same person, we've used feng shui to really create huge shifts in their life as well. And the feng shui can be used in all contexts and settings. So whether you're living in a room in your parents' house or if you're living in a a trailer for a while, just kind of in a mobile situation, we can still use it. We used feng shui to help someone go from being more mobile because they didn't know where to land to finding more rooting and, and grounding and self, getting an apartment, really making it their own, pulling in the feng shui to help direct the energy that they're trying to call in in their life. I want to talk about, I mean, we've gone into the, the military aspect of um your work and the ways that you've been able to help all of those people. But what about for the mom who is working full-time and has three kids? What about your average American who is chronically stressed out, sleep deprived? What are the kinds of offerings that you have that could help someone like this? My client base right now is about half veterans have civilians and on either side of that we have parents we have people who aren't parents yet we have people struggling with different chronic illness that's coming up because of chronic stress no matter what it is depending on the person bring similar similar modalities to the table it looks different um i think uh, people who are local, even the busy moms, like to come in person to have Reiki or sound bowl healing or art therapy in a in an environment that really feels like an escape to them. Um, and other people really like who other people who are like busy mom business owners like the fact that we can meet virtually because. They can, they don't have a commute and they can take an hour to go sit in the car or go sit in a walk-in closet. Honestly, I've done so many virtual sessions from cars, hotel rooms, office floors, closets where people have just found a nook to hide out and be able to do our therapy or do our meditation and they can still get all the benefits out of it but that way they can really like literally weave it (laughs) into their life schedule yes yes that's so great would you say that I mean the root of a lot of physical disease mental unrest all of the the struggles that we we might be dealing with in modern life here it all comes down to stress yeah I mean people don't like to oversimplify it but yeah there is a stress on the symptom on the system. Okay. And it gets dysregulated. Yeah. And snowballs and turns into something big. So you are 
offering these different modalities to help people mitigate that stress and to really just create more calm and peace in their lives. Because I don't think we really get taught that in school. I mean, there's not a, a stress management class. Just, you know, you we go through our lives and more continues to be thrown at us. And I don't remember ever having it modeled for me. This is what you can do when you feel like your system is overloaded. Only now, much later in life, yeah. have I been learning how to calm my central nervous system myself. And so I see how this is a new thing, but it seems like also it's really the key to wellness. Yeah, I know. People, I think it's easy to minimize the holistic healing because it you can break it down and make it very simple. Like teach someone how to feng shui their environment or focus on their breathing in the moment. Like we can bring it down to very simple takeaways. So it's easy to minimize, but it is not stuff that we're taught. And so people, and it's, you know, people come to me very frustrated that they've been on a runaround with this series of chronic conditions that they have been to many medical specialists about. And I'll ask them, so what was your, like, while you're waiting on, you know, XYZ test, what was their recommendation for you to do in the meantime? And they'll say, nothing, they didn't have a recommendation, just like wait for your test, see who you need to see. Whereas even in our first conversation, I can see, okay, X, Y, and Z thing that you're eating is totally contributing to what you're dealing with. X, Y, and Z thing that you're doing as a career is totally contributing to what you're dealing with. X, Y, and Z thing that you have as a core belief from childhood is totally running the show. And so it all plays in, it all matters. So I think sometimes when people are like, it's just stress, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but things are chronically stressing our, our systems all the time. It's not just in our mind, not just in our body, on so many different levels. So it really is valuable and really worth someone's time to do the holistic things because it's these holistic things that can really reverse the course of things that people think need to be life sentences when they don't. Mm. I think that that's such a great message to get out there, that people can know that there is hope. And the more that we really come to understand that we are one integrated mind, body, and spirit, and we learn to treat ourselves that way, which is what you're doing, can really just be such a gift and so empowering. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me, for the person who is overwhelmed and doesn't know where to start, they're too busy. I got too much going on, too much on my plate. I don't have time for this. What is maybe one or two suggestions that you would have for ways that they could weave some extra wellness into their day? It's hard to answer that. I think I need to know more about the person. Like even even saying, okay, for example, even just saying like get insight timer and do a 10-minute meditation every day. I've had so many people come to me who are like, I know I should just do a 10-minute meditation every day, but I can't get my body still enough to get into it. So then there's different preparatory things that we do 
to walk their body back into being able to be still enough to do it, right? Even Um, that, Jackie, is so helpful. I think people think something is wrong with them if they can't get their body still enough. And so then they just say, oh, meditation isn't for me. Exactly. So you just set someone free with sharing that. Because now that they're, they yeah, can know good, there are yeah. steps even before the meditation so that the meditation can be more impactful for you and your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why this is all so individualized. And that's why I personally don't have a, like a subscription channel or anything like that. Because everything that I design for someone looks very unique and individualized. So even with Yoga Nidra, one person might be able to successfully get into it if we start at a certain starting point. Someone else, we may need to start at a completely different starting point to help them actually be able to get into it. So yeah, I will say if people are trying things online and they're not working for them, they may just not be in sync with what they need or how they need it. And you can offer some extra support to help to get them there so that they can achieve the results they really want. Okay. So then to make it a little bit more specific, let's talk about you. What are the tools that you rely on? Let's say, you know, a common thing that I hear all the time, people are sleep deprived. They didn't get enough sleep. So if you have a jam packed day ahead of you and you know that your body hasn't gotten Mm -hmm. enough rest, what tools are you utilizing for yourself? Okay. I can answer this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so getting more specific with sleep. So number one, sleep hygiene is so important. Don't have technology in the bedroom, like no TVs, no glaring lights. The Wi-Fi should really be off at night. We're influenced by EMFs. Putting the cell phone, like if it's your alarm, on the floor next to you versus on the um, nightstand right next to you makes a big difference in just allowing your brain waves to go where they need to go. If I need to fall asleep and I'm having trouble because I'm like overthinking, a few different things. Number one, fall asleep on your right side. So with your left nostril up, the, your left side is cooling energy. So you can actually even feel a big difference if you're laying on your left side and your 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 right nostril is up you're in a more activated energy so that may actually be contributing to your running mind so if i'm ever like my goodness my mind's racing i'll be like what side am i on okay flip so i'm sleeping on my right side left nostril is up and it's so much easier to fall asleep because then you're activating the cooling side wow i have never heard that before so so many things yeah so try falling asleep with your on your right side with your left nostril up. And then there's other like meditation techniques that I can do to walk my mind down into a theta state and then drift off into a sleeping state. So a lot of times when people count sheep, they might not drift away because they're still so focused on something that's taking like intellectual effort, but there's kind of these like yogic ways of counting sheep 
there's no sheep, <laughs> but there's like other ways that you like you can guide your mind down to a sleep state. And so I'll do that if um, I'm really having a hard time falling asleep. And this is something that you could teach someone to do as well. Yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So say, for example, you've done all those things. You have 10 out of 10 sleep hygiene, but still you've had this restless mind and haven't logged enough hours for whatever reason. What would you do throughout that following day to support yourself? Knowing that you still have to go throughout mm -hmm. your day, what are some, some tools that you can call on? I would take the time to do a yoga nidra during the day. So one yoga nidra is the equivalent to about four hours of sleep. It's that rest. It's that restful and rejuvenating. Wow. So yeah, the clients, um, when we would do that in the military hospital, we, they loved it and we did it in the afternoon because they would get up afterwards and have so much energy to get to things. So it's really restorative incredibly restorative so it is worth your time if you're like I don't have half an hour I mean you could spend the whole day dragging through what you need to do because you're tired and unmotivated or you can take a half hour time out do a yoga nidra and then get to the other you know three and a half four hours like with way more focus and energy very worth it very worth it yeah very worth it. So other things, um, starting the day with a cup of hot water is activating. Um, I would do different yoga, yogic breaths or postures that I know are, act, are activating a fire. So like if I, yeah, if I get up tired, but I know there's stuff I have to do, then I'll do all these holistic things to activate the fire. It's better than I do drink coffee too but I am mindful about not just having that be the only thing that's keeping you going there's so many things that we can do to wake up our own energy and get it moving forward a simple thing I do energy medicine yoga and there's a like a three-minute thing called the energy medicine yoga wake up and it's as invigorating as having a cup of coffee or a shot of espresso but you're not taking in a substance so it's not going to keep you up at night you know, it's not going to keep you in that cycle where it's like, I'm so tired, I drink coffee all day, and then I can't fall asleep because I'm wired, and then it just kind of perpetuates. So if I get up and am extremely tired, um, that is when I'll do more of these holistic revving things to get through the day, but then so I'll be able to go to sleep and catch up the next night. Okay. And these are very, very simple things that you can teach people how to do. All they need is their own energy and their own body. Yes. And you <laughs> to get them started. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very cool. My last little point that I wanted to cover with you was just, you know, if we run into conflict throughout the day with our partners, with coworkers in the office, with our kids at home, what are uh, what are some things that you would draw on to help someone uh, in a situation of conflict so that they're not acting out in a way that they might later regret? Yeah, so lots of lots of different ways to take pause. I'm trained in TM, transcendental meditation. So 
personally, I wake up every morning, I do my TM. It really makes you feel like you're starting the day on a fresh slate and that you can take everything you encounter at face value instead of being, you know, over the accumulation of a bunch of muck that you haven't cleared. So TM is a critical thing that I do every single morning and afternoon. Conflict with partner. My partner got trained in TM after I suggested it. He's been trained in TM for a few years now. And especially if, if we get in conflict, like there will be times where, and it's just not going anywhere. There have been many times where it's like, okay, let's TM. So you'll just interrupt the conflict. TM, we'll take our space that way. We'll just interrupt the conflict, do TM. And what that does is it really, it really cleanses and expands your mind. So then afterwards, um, we're able to come back together from a way more open-hearted, open-minded ability to creatively problem-solve place. So it just winds up addressing the conflict, winds up going way better if we you know, take a pause to do that. And then something I suggest a lot, like when I've been in work environments where you know, maybe maybe like a supervisor is coming at me with an accusation of something that I didn't do. And it's not the kind of situation where I can be like, I need 20 minutes to go meditate. <laughs> There's lots of times where you can't do that. So in those situations where I just need to like turn my energy on a dime, I just literally my self-talk becomes, I am grace. I am grace. I am grace. And for, you know, people, it could be different. It could be, I am calm. I am calm. I am calm. Whatever, however, whatever embodiment of energy you really want to show up as in that conversation repeat that in your mind as a mantra and it's so cool to see in real time i mean it's like once i engage that and it's like i am grace i am grace i am grace i feel it totally change the the energy that i'm i'm radiating out and then people by default we have mirror neurons so then i kind of watch i watch in real time like I get less defensive, I get more like soft in a, a grounded way, my um, energy shifts, and then it's reflected back. I then see the other person kind of soften, like lower defenses. And then the conversation is always so much better when I take a moment to do that. So that's a real like in the moment thing that I really employ when I can't like go take a pause. That's so great. And yeah. Such a wonderful tool. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I am Grace. Well, Jackie, how can people find you if they want to work with you? And I know they're going to want to after hearing all of this wisdom that you have shared with us today. So my, my practice is called Flourish Momentum. So it's Flourish Momentum, Integrative Health and Wellness for Mind, Body, Soul, and Space. I work with people primarily one-on-one, -on -one, but I can also I also do groups or different community events, and I work with people in person, but also virtually. So very accessible, no matter where someone is located. And these modalities translate beautifully virtually. So have no hesitation to reach out. But my website is called 
flourishmomentum.com. And then you can follow me on, connect with me at Insta- on Instagram, pretty active there. So it's flourish underscore momentum there. And my email is Jackie at flourishmomentum.com if you want to get directly connected. Fantastic. And this is for anyone who is dealing with trauma, grief, or someone that just feels like they're wanting a little more balance and health in their life. Yeah, I would say anyone, all of those things, and anyone who feels stuck. To anyone who feels stuck in any way, any sort of physical or emotional pain, or that feeling like you're just stuck. You want better. You want your life to look different. You want to feel differently, but you just don't know how to get there. Okay. And I think that that is something that is very relatable. So people reach out to Jackie. She is a very, very gifted healer. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, it really was. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope that it really got you thinking about yourself, your life, maybe a current problem you're facing right now in a different way. What if there's an alternative? What if there is another way to see things? Be sure to follow Jackie. She has all kinds of wonderful, informative content uh, on her social media, at Flourish Momentum on Instagram. And be sure to stay tuned for more with me next week. I will be bringing you more wonderful guests, more inspiration. So stay tuned and stay open to possibilities.